If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 81. We all have wishes and desires, things that we would like, and uh, there's often stories told of things called genies in bottles or genies in lamps, and people, they ask wishes of them, and sometimes their wishes, they have to be very careful because usually in the stories, the genies are a bit of a trickster, and they kind of give them something that they say they want, but they didn't really want. In fact, I had a friend, and he was walking along the beach one day, and he found a bottle. And so he picked it up, and he thought, I'll just rub it, just in case. And a genie popped out, and the genie asked him, you know, I only give one wish, so think very carefully what you want. And so my friend, he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he said, I just want to be happy. And then, well, now my friend... He lives with six other dwarves in a small cottage in the woods, and he works in a mine. Okay, some of you got it. Some of you got it. Well, <laughs> I had another friend, and he, he found the same bottle. He rubbed it. The genie popped out, and he says, I only give one wish. And the friends thought very carefully, and he said, oh, yeah, I just want my family to be happy. And then, poof, he was gone. What I'm going to try and convince you tonight is that God will give you what you desire. But God is not a genie in a bottle. If you're in the book of Psalms, chapter 81, I'd like you to stand while we read the entire chapter, if you're able to. It says, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day, for this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, as we consider our desires and your desires, tonight would you just open our hearts to the truth that you want us to learn, both about you and about ourselves. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you look at the beginning of this psalm, it starts out with great joy. He says, make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm, instruments, harps, trumpets. 
They're preparing for a joyous feast. And as they're doing this, he's calling them to worship with great joy. But then as you fast forward to the end of the psalm, you see, in verse 13, He says, oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. He says, I should have done this. I could have done this. I would have done this. It's as if God is looking at his people with tears running down his face with regret and sorrow. What is it about a passage of scripture that would start with such joy and end in such sorrow? Well, in order to understand this scripture, we have to work at it from both ends and work our way to the middle, because the middle is where the change happens, and why that change happens is of vital importance to you and to me tonight. First, as we look after the joyful call to celebration, we see that God reminds his people of this history that he has with his people. Now, when we look at the Bible... The Bible has a lot of verses in it that are wonderful verses. Verses that you can take and you read them and you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Verses that they just seem to just, within a few words, speak volumes of truth that minister to you. But the reality is that most of the Bible is actually quite boring. (laughs) Because most of the Bible was actually recorded history. Uh, If you've ever tried to read through your Bible, all of it, you'll know some of those boring parts, okay? You get to it and you're wondering, why on earth am I reading this particular section? But there's a reason that God gave us his word as history. Because our God does not change. So this means that the God in the past is the God in the present is the God in the future. So the more you learn about history, specifically how God has worked in history, the more it can give you faith for today because you know that that will be the same God who can do miraculous things in the future. He gives us a few examples. Now, perhaps you didn't grow up in church, perhaps you don't know a lot of these stories, but I'm assuming that many of you do know these stories. Do you know the name Joseph? Let's review what Joseph and what happened to him, okay? So Joseph, he was born into a privileged family, but then he was sold as a slave and was cast into prison unjustly. In those periods of Joseph's life, was Joseph living a good life or a bad life? Okay, a bad life, okay. But then what did God do for Joseph? Do you remember? He brought him out of the prison. He brought him out of slavery. He made him second in command in Egypt and used Joseph to deliver and save his entire family from famine. So his whole family comes to Egypt. They live there. They're happy forever after. Not quite. You remember what happens? Well, they're in a strange land, and a new king comes up that doesn't know Joseph, And that king looks at this people of Israel and he says, hmm, they're strangers here. I think I'll put them to work. And they become slaves in Egypt. Now, was that a good thing or a bad thing? A bad thing. But what did God do for them? He sent a man named Moses who said, let my people go. And he sent ten plagues over Egypt to show his power and he delivered them with a mighty hand. 
The same God that did that is the same God today and the same God of the future. But it didn't stop there. He led them out of Egypt. He put them next to a big ocean, and behind them was the Egyptian arm, army. Was they, were they in a good position or a bad position? A bad position, but what did God do for them? He split that sea open. They walked across on dry ground, and God killed their enemies behind them. So, they're free now, right? They're out in the middle of the desert. And now they discover they don't have food. God's reminding them, what did you do when you were in trouble? You called to me, and I delivered you. They needed food. They were in a bad situation. They called to God, and what did God do for them? He sent them more food than they could eat. They come to the mountain of Sinai. They're there, and what are they doing? They are afraid of their God as he smokes and thunders on the top of that mountain. And what do they do? They build a puny little thing, a calf out of gold, and they begin to worship it. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? A bad thing. But what did God do for them? Out of that mountain, he gives them a divine law for them to follow and guide their ways. They move on from there. It says, I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. There they were in a desert place with no water. Were they in a good place or a bad place? A bad place, but what did God do for them? He gave them water out of a rock. Time and time again, God leads his people into a difficult situation where it seemed like there was no way out, and then he brings them a way out. My friends, that is why we need to know history. Read your whole Bibles. Try to figure out what was God doing in this situation, that situation. Because the more you know about the God of the past, the more you know about the God of the present, and the more it will give you faith for the future. Now, as we're looking at this poem. It was written, of course, to the nation of Israel. And we need to be a little bit careful when we try and apply the promises that were given to the nation of Israel to the church and to us as believers. However, there is a good chance that as we look out at the people around us today that each one of us has a history of God doing a work not just in the way, way, way back past, but in the past of your own life. Now, I don't want to assume that everyone here is a believer, though. It may be that you truly do not have a personal history with God. If you are sitting here tonight and you do not know for sure that all of your sins are forgiven, that you have a home in heaven with God forever and ever, and that you have are a child of God in a good relationship with Him, there is a good chance that you have not begun your walk with God yet. Or perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, I am okay with God because He loves me and I'm a pretty good person and I think God will accept me for who I am. My friends, we were all born in a cursed position before God. 
We were all born defiled and filthy. Filthy in our sin and in our own attempts to please God with our goodness. Isaiah said we are all as an unclean thing and our very goodness is just like stinky, filthy rags. My friends, God loves you. He loves you so much, but he is a holy God who must be completely separate from sin. And so when you were born, although he looked at you with love, he also had to separate himself from you because you were so vile. But about 2,000 years ago in history, God did something for all of us. He sent Jesus, his own son, who left heaven, was born as a man who grew up living a perfect life, did not need to die, but chose to sacrifice himself in death, taking the punishment for your sin and mine. He made himself a stinking, cursed, vile thing before God, taking your sin for himself, so that when God looks at you, he will not see you. He will see his now risen, now living forever, once again perfect son living in you. But he doesn't give that gift to every person automatically. He is waiting for you to simply admit your own state as a person who is separated from God, undeserving of his love, undeserving of his forgiveness, and reaching out only to Jesus and when you do that, God does something for you. Even though you are in a bad situation, God takes you out of that bad situation and he makes you a child of his, forever his, free to live with him in heaven when you die. Is that your testimony tonight? I hope so. I hope you can say, I was once lost in my sin, but in my own history, whether it was at the age of six, whether it was at the age of 30, whether it was the age of 96, God saved you and made you his child. We cannot describe the miracle that that was. The work that God had to go to in order to make that happen is unbelievably complex, but he did it for you and if you have believed in Jesus, that history is now your history. But perhaps your history expands beyond that. Perhaps your history expands to times when you were in a hopeless situation. You prayed and you saw God deliver you in a special, special way. Perhaps it was times of difficulty when you just felt the very presence of God. I don't know what your history is, but probably all of us have a history. And when we look at what God has done for us, it gives us faith because the God of the past is the God of the present, is the God of the future, and can give us faith for what he can do for us. I don't know what troubles you might be facing tonight. Whether it's money troubles. God has enough money to fix your troubles. I don't know that he will, but he can. I don't know whether it's health troubles. God has enough power to free you and give you good health. I don't know that he will, but I know that he can. God will give you what you desire, but he is not a genie in the bottle. 
God reminds them of their history because he wants them to understand that he can give them and he will give them what they desire. What do you think the Israelites desired? If we look at the end of the chapter, we see some things that I'm sure that they really wanted. For example, he says in verse 14, he says, I should soon have subdued their enemies. Do you think that the Israelites, in their heart of hearts, wanted to be free from their enemies? I think so. Now, I told you that God will give you what you desire, and God obviously wanted to give the Israelites this good thing. So why is it that he was saying, I wanted to give you this? I wanted to, but you didn't get it. What else did they might have want? It says, he should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat in verse 16. And with honey out of the rock, should I have satisfied thee? Do you think that the Israelites wanted to have good food? Yes. And God is almost like he's weeping here, saying, I wanted to give you this good food. I wanted to provide for your needs, but I could not. Now, I told you that God will give you what you desire. So why is it that these people, who I'm sure they wanted these things from God, why is it that they were not getting these things from God? It's because... God is not like a genie. He was giving them exactly what they wanted. Look at verse 11. He says, But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. Verse 12. So I gave them up unto their own, can you read it with me? Hearts lust. Their own hearts desire. And they walked in their own counsels. They thought they wanted to be free from their enemies. They thought they wanted to be fed with good food and have all of their needs taken care of. But they wanted these things without God. They would not listen to God, and instead what he says is, okay, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you desire, but then you can't have me. And the only way to get all of these other blessings is through me. Verse 9, God says, There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. He used history to remind his people of who he was, and then verse 10, which is the central verse in this passage, he says this, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Who brought you through the Red Sea? Who fed you in the wilderness? Who gave you your law? It was me. It wasn't the gods of Egypt. It wasn't the God of Cain and Baal. It was me. I did that for you. What do you desire? What is in your heart of hearts, what you seek after, what you work after, what occupies your time? There are a lot of good things. God gives us desire sometimes for good things. But I want to ask you, what did those desires do for you in comparison to what God has done for you? I like money. I do. I like to work. I like my job. Money is special. It helps us to survive. God, I think, put in us a desire for money to help us to survive. Did money free you from your sin? Did money die on the cross for you? No. It was God. God did that for you. You know, sometimes I like to watch some television. Sometimes I like to watch more television than I think is good for me. Does television teach me God's word and minister to my heart every single day like the Holy Spirit does? No. As good as television might be in, in feeding a certain emotional aspect of myself, it doesn't do that for me. But God does. I could name choice after choice, desire after desire. Some of them may be sinful, and obviously those things are things that are pulling you away from God. I could name good things, but the reality is that each desire has a choice associated with it. Is this desire going to pull me closer to God, or is this desire going to pull me further away from God? Each desire comes with a choice. For example, a person may say that they have a desire to live comfortably, to have a nice family, to live in a good home. But if a desire for drugs and alcohol overwhelms that other desire, they can chase after a temporary desire, and by making that choice, it can rob them of that greater desire. You understand what I mean? Certain choices, desires lead to choices, and certain choices can steal from greater desires. That may be what God is saying in this passage, but I don't think so. I don't think he's saying, you need to be careful which choices you make, although I think you do, because the choices you make and the desires you have can rob you of greater desires. God is saying, all of those desires, everything your heart wants, What would happen if I were to give it to you? But I were to give it to you without me. Verse 10, he says, I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. It was me. I did this. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Now when I read this, 
I think of back to when uh, I was a smaller boy, and I would uh, be sleeping in my bed, and outside my bedroom window on the second floor, there were some trees growing, and birds would make nests in the trees, and so I would be woken up in the mornings by these little birds, peep, 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 and as a little boy, of course, I liked to explore and climb trees, and so I would climb this tree all the way up to where that nest was, and I would peek over the edge of that nest, and when the shadow of my head went over that nest, all those little birds thought I was the mama bird, and they would all go, peep, 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 and they'd do it. Oh, I don't know how God did this to little birds, but he made them almost like their entire bodies would fold in half, where they just became all mouth. And so what was a little bunch of birds in the nest suddenly is just this sea of yellow rectangles, you know, with all these big mouths open, hoping that I had some little goodie that I was going to bring to them. Those little birds, in order to survive, they had to open their mouths wide. Open their mouths to whatever the mother bird was choosing to bring to them so that she could fill their mouths. That's what I think of when I read this. God does not bless us in the same way that he promised to bless the nation of Israel. But it's as if he was telling his people, I have all of this I want to give you. I just want to be your God. Please make me your God because when you are, then you could just open yourself up as big as you can and I will give you blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. God doesn't bless us in the same way. He didn't promise us great uh, sections of land. He didn't promise us to always have the best meals, that our crops would always grow and thrive and prosper, that rains would always come. God didn't give us that kind of promise. There are some people that teach that. But when I look at the New Testament, I see that the Christian is to live a life of sacrifice. And that occasionally God brings his people through difficult circumstances. But God has promised something even greater for us. An eternal inheritance. And it's not just going to be floating up there either. He's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. And we're going to be living in a physical world with all of God's blessings. I don't know exactly what they'll be. Sometimes I wish God would give us a little more details about what he's going to actually give us. But I do know that they are going to exceed our imaginations. God has a storehouse of blessings in eternity. But I think they'll even trickle through down to this life. Again, it's possible that God may fulfill your needs in order for you to continue to serve Him. It's possible that God may give you the things you need physically. It's possible that God may bless you with good relationships. It's possible that God may give you a good job. But it's also possible that God will give you the fruits of the Spirit. True joy, true peace, true love. And those blessings sometimes are the greatest blessings of all. But what God, I think, is asking of His people, both the nation of Israel and us as believers, is simply this. 
Am I your one desire? I've been speaking about the blessings of God as if God has this great big dump truck full of blessings and He just says, stand behind it, open your mouth, and I'm going to unload. But as I look at this verse, I see, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, open thy mouth wide, and He says, I will fill it. Could it possibly mean that God isn't saying, I'm going to just put a bunch of blessings in your mouth, but I I'm going to fill it with myself. The greatest blessing that perhaps we could ever get is not what God can give to us, but that God can give us himself. And with the presence of God comes blessing unimaginable. What is your heart's desire? In your heart of hearts, as you look at how you act, how you behave, I know we have to have jobs. I know we need to entertain ourselves. I know we need to eat. I know we need money. But as you look at your activities, are those activities desires that God has put in your heart? Or are they activities that are showing that your heart is not fully set on God. If this were to represent the fullness of God's blessing, how much do you want? Will you be content with maybe this much? Uh, Or perhaps this much? Or do you want the whole thing? The blessings of God... When he gives them, they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. God just keeps giving and giving and giving. And the blessings of God, they just keep coming and coming. He keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. Above and beyond what you can imagine. God will give you what you desire. You may be chasing after money. God may say, okay, I'll give you money. You may be chasing after relationships, and God may say, I'll give you relationships. But if the desire is not from God, look what you are leaving behind. Look at what God wants to give to you. What do you desire? Because God will give you what you desire, but he is not like a genie in a bottle. As I close here, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you, first of all, to just ask yourself, have I received God's first blessing? Am I truly God's child? Have I received that wonderful gift of salvation that he wants to give? If not, please, Talk to a friend here. You can have your sins forgiven today and begin to start on that great history of a Christian life with God. But I'm assuming that most of you here today are believers. This is such a convicting message for me because there are so many things that I desire that pull me away from God. But each time I go that way, 
I am leaving behind God. And in leaving him behind, I'm leaving behind blessings unimaginable. Seek your own heart tonight and ask God to seek your heart. Ask him to show you what desires are holding back his great blessings. And then just ask him, open your heart to him and say, God, I want you to fill me so that every desire that I have is not my own, but is truly yours. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for everything that you have done for us. And I thank you for the great God that you are. I thank you that that can give us confidence for the future. Lord, I also ask that tonight, if there is one that does not know you, that you would impress upon them the great blessing they are missing in being your child, and would you draw them to yourself. And then for my brothers and sisters, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with a desire only for you, so that every other desire pales in comparison and comes only from you, so that we and then we together collectively as a church can receive the great blessings that you wish to pour out onto us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.